Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of In Liberty and Health. Today, I'm really, really excited for this conversation. When I had um, one of the guests on last time, I told him that I would really like to make this specific show happen. So I'm glad we could finally get it set up. Um, I'm thinking this is probably going to make some libertarians upset. And I still identify as a libertarian. So um, I'm perfectly okay with that. And I think that um, if you are upset by the conversation we're having today, then there's probably a lot of things within this show that you should probably consider and learn more about. Um, you know, I will be the first person to admit that there are plenty of things that I'm ignorant about. And hopefully I'll learn a little bit more today. So um, I guess I won't keep you guys too much longer in this portion of the show. Make sure you hit all the links below to figure out what I got going on. And also uh, Common Crown's new single, Cry, is going to be coming out on January 12th. I can't wait for everybody to hear that. I want to make sure I get that, you know, right in front because I think this show is going to do some good numbers. I'm really, really excited for everybody to uh, hear the conversation today. So um, without further ado, let's rock and roll. What is up, everybody? My name is Kyle Matovic. I am the host of the In Liberty and Health podcast where we talk all things liberty, health and wellness, and beyond. My hope is to encourage and spread the message of liberty physical and mental well-being i hope you enjoy all the topics we talk about with our guests we're on all major streaming platforms so please sit back relax and enjoy man i'm doing as good as anyone can do getting buried by his 13 year old son on leg day <laughs> i'm not going to apologize for not being on this podcast because i got to go see metallic so if that's a problem kiss my ass Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Pete, Brandon, welcome back, gentlemen. How's it going? Good to be here. Yeah, excellent. Well, uh, I told Brandon last time he was on that I wanted to make this show in specific uh, happen, and I'm glad that we could finally do it. I'm pretty sure that was probably almost a year ago now um i think it was kind of inspired by uh brandon when you were on pete's show and i just really really enjoyed that and then i listened to a podcast today without pete on it if i remembered it uh, i would plug it but um it was a fantastic show it was with a guy a, uh guy who's a christian and i think he said something to the degree at the beginning of the show that like he couldn't promote pete's show because it wasn't like an explicitly christian show john but, harris um, that that might have been it. I don't know if he said his name, but it, the, it's a decent sized show on YouTube. But I, it was absolutely fantastic, and um, I want to get this out of the way as well. Um, Pete, I, I've personally messaged you a bunch of times, and a lot of the libertarian friends that I run with are, are always going to bat with you. But uh, every single time, I will always, 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 no matter what, defend you because um, you've always just been a sincerely good person to me, and everybody that I know that knows you. And that you've interacted with personally has nothing but good things to say. So I will vouch for you 10 times out of 10, even if there's some abstract thing that we may disagree on, because, um, you know, the personal relationships that we have with each other are, um, so much more important than some ideological beef. So I, I just want to make sure I get that out there front. And I'm sure Brandon probably feels the same exact way as well. Well, I, I mean, I just think that we're, we show each other respect 
you know, we respect each other. And if you have a question, if something's bothering you that I may have said, you come to me and you, uh, you ask me privately. And, you know, if it's something that you really think needs to be public, you know, you'll like invite me on the show or something like that. You know, people who just like jump off and, you know, I don't mind people disagreeing with me online. It's perfectly fine. It's, you know, like, oh, you one time said that your dad thought that there was like someone practiced Judaism like in your history like years ago. So that means you're a self-hating Jew and go fuck yourself. <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, if that's if if that's the logic that a Hoppian is bringing, I'm glad I just I mean. I, I'm going to choose, I'm going to be a lot more, I'm going to act way more individual about who I interact with. I'm not going to be like, oh, you know, I agree with the Hoppians on a lot. Well, no, now it's like, well, maybe I don't. Maybe I need to take it on a case-by-case basis. Um, if you want to make good arguments online, that's fine. If you want to argue in good faith, that's fine. If you're just going to act like a faggot, I'm going to treat you like a faggot. And considering my following, we're just going to bend you over and use you like one. So there you go. <laughs> now, I, I'm, I'm all good with that. Um, I, I think I was telling my wife about this or some people that I work with. There was a guy who I blocked because he was going off in my Twitter mentions. And I think Brandon might have chimed in on this, too. But like he kept calling me a faggot and i don't know this dude at all we had like one interaction and i think we were talking about like cars and stuff and he literally said in one post like i'm always starting from the position that you're wrong right <laughs> and i i like I, once pretty civil exchange and he just kept calling me a faggot and an asshole and saying that this is like gay behavior so i blocked him and then like last week he made this huge paragraph explaining why like um you know why he was acting the way that he was and then this you know just on monday he said oh i wonder what he's gonna say and then like he he had this whole constructed argument of what he thought i was going to say i'm like i forgot about you already dude <laughs> like what, what positive interaction could there have been between you and i at, at this point if like your starting premises that i'm always wrong like i i no longer want to talk to you anymore yeah i mean no it's just you know when people try to bring bring personal stuff in you know i've i've had my i've aired my personal had personal things come out on the timeline and you know i regret it and i've apologized for it and i think i've i've made amends with everybody who was involved and yet people who weren't involved still want to come in and talk about it because they're faggots um and but yeah i mean it, it it's fine you know it's like if you're you have to understand your insults like if you're going to call me a statist that doesn't mean anything to me because I'm not a libertarian or an anarchist anymore you know that's just it is okay okay all right well what okay i understand within your little you know book club your online book club that that's like a pejorative and and it's you know it, it, it's insulting but i i think it's pretty funny actually because it's like you're you're like using something that's not ever going to like disappear in your lifetime and 
probably none of your kids lifetime or your any of your progeny's lifetime but that's like your go-to insult and it's you know i mean the way i look at it is we have some enemies um a lot of people that that i've come to know have been thrown in jail done things that you know just because they upset the state the way to fight that is to gain is to gain that power and use it and use it back against them. If you're in a fight and somebody's firing a rifle at you, having a slingshot is not going to help. Having a slingshot and like uh, uh, being on your moral high horse isn't going to help. You're going to have to find uh, a rifle and one that's actually more powerful um, in order to defeat that enemy or else you're just always going to be crying and and playing playing the victim mm -hmm. well i think this connects to probably what brandon's doing i was kind of thinking about this yeah. a little bit earlier because i've been kind of diving into you know a lot of red pill and relationship stuff but like basically like what a lot of the red pill stuff for me is, is basically like using different sciences to make your life better right and to understand interpersonal relationships with people so like I'm kind of looking at this as like Pete is kind of like the research theory and history guy, right? And like obviously, I'm sure there's probably local things that you're doing. I know that um the community that you're in now, you seem to really like, and you said they kind of vetted you, which is interesting. And I I, I kind of know that feeling. And I think Brand is a little bit more like the boots on the ground and seeing how it works. And um like I said, the chemistry that you two had on the show that you know you guys did together was fantastic. And um obviously, I've come to know Brandon pretty well over the last, you know, two years that I've been doing the show and had him on a bunch of times. And um, his experience has been very, very interesting to me. And both of you guys have changed my mind on a lot and specifically the way that I kind of look at politics. So I wanted to give the floor to Brandon to kind of give his ideas on some of the stuff that you kind of laid out specifically, like calling people a status who want to use government for their own benefits, as if, you know, the people that we despise aren't going to do the same thing. Um, oh, thanks for having me on here, Kyle. And I appreciate the introduction from Pete. I, um, I, I look at the screen and I think about, um, each of us, um, we've all, um, endured personal consequences from Twitter and from our presence on Twitter in yes. one way or another. Um, and then to, to see, um, and at, at least in my case, this came from people who consider themselves, you know, explicitly, um, they consider me an enemy of what they want to achieve. Um, and, and this is, this is true of Pete. This is true of you. Um, Kyle, I, I, I know you suffered some professional, um, setbacks and, and, uh, I, I know Pete's been dragged through the mud on more than one occasion. Um, and then I, I suppose it would be, uh, relevant to, to mention some of the, the brouhaha going on now over, um, the redheaded libertarian, her presence on a, mm -hmm. on a calendar. I, I made a couple of comments about how, you know, some of those details, we, we need to learn how to discuss those in, in group chats. We need to learn how to discuss those, um, man to man or man to woman as the case may be. Um, and that's something I've, um, tried to adopt. It's just a more judicious use of Twitter. Um, and I, th I think that's something everybody could probably you know, just let's practice a little bit more wisdom in, in how we tackle some of these issues. I mentioned, uh, on, like just for example, on this calendar matter, 
Um, this is something that is, these kinds of questions split church congregations on the, the length of skirts or whether or not, you know, somebody should be in a bikini um, in small communities. How can we expect a global platform that transcends, you know, it stretches across all cultures? Um, how, how can we, a political po coalition, possibly agree on these kinds of issues? Um, I, I look at the calendar. I think it's a little cringe. It's a little boomer con. Um, it's, it's my personal opinion, but on, on a moral, the, the moral question of the calendar, I, I mentioned it. It's like, we're debating whether to go back to the eighties or the forties on the right. <laughs> and, um, well, with that said, I, I think some of these, some of these details really ought to be ironed out behind closed doors, or we can just bite our tongue. Sometimes that's not a bad option either. Um, but with that said, uh, Kyle, we can kind of transition into, into politics. Um, well, isn't, isn't that politics? So, I mean, yeah, we, yeah. you're talking about culture and once you make the decision that, that culture is everything and that culture, having a, a cohesive orderly culture is what's going to bring about, um, is going to bring about order, um, which is the way, the only way I could ever see a, even something that could even resemble a libertarian society existing. Um, you know, you have to talk about, okay, does D, is D, degeneracy, is it something that you want within your system? Is it something that you want within your culture? And you're, you don't have to look at a calendar as such and say, oh, well, it's completely degenerate. It's not, but it's in the same, it's basically selling sex. Okay. Yeah, you're selling, you're, you know, and you have to make your decision is, okay, do you think, you know, I would ask the question, do you think that pornography is a positive or a negative? If you think it's a negative and you're arguing for calendars like this, I think you really should probably step back and, you know, ask yourself, you know, are you, what are you willing to allow? What are you willing to allow? Because as soon as you open the door a little bit, it, everything opens up and it, you know, it just pours in, you know, I mean, we allowed you know, in 1965, we allowed bare breasts on in movies and it's within, within three years, you had a porn industry that exploded in New York city and in cities around the country. Um, you know, I mean, I know this is all over a calendar and, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not exactly one who I, I shouldn't be, I'm not Jesus. I shouldn't be, you know, judging this and everything. But what I would ask is, is if you think that pornography and basically selling sex um, is something that if that's conservative, if that's what conservatism is, you know, it's like somebody made the comment. It's like, okay, how long before you have porn, explicit porn that is designed towards conservatives? And then someone goes, oh, well, look up Brandy Love. And I'm like, I don't want to. I, I, I don't want to. Apparently, there's somebody out there, a porn, a porn actress who is making porn catered towards right, right wingers. I, I, I remember the right is lost because you're playing on the left field. You're playing. It's over. Yeah. It's over. Yeah, you, you mentioned, Pete, um, this dichotomy between order and chaos. When I was a libertarian, 
I thought of politics uh, in terms of, um, you, you would say, maybe freedom versus tyranny. I no longer think of politics as, the, as solving the problem of freedom or tyranny. I think of it as solving the question of chaos and order. And um, I think there is a kind of libertarianism that is consistent with addressing that question. I don't think libertarianism is incapable of answering that question. But if your libertarianism is preoccupied with the question of tyranny and liberty, I, I think you're... Um, I think you're mistaken. I think I think anyone who thinks in those terms may come to some conclusions that could be self-defeating, or may lead them down just a, a fruitless path. Um, I well, think liberty, liber because liberty is a terrible term because well, you, yeah. you you can make anything as long as it doesn't violate the non-aggression principle. Anything can be gets filed under liberty. Right. Right. I mean, the, the, we have a um, a congress. Um, we have a open seat right now for Jim. Jim Banks in uh, Indiana is running for Senate. So we have an open seat. And one of the candidates whom I do like, he's running on this notion of expanding freedom. Um, and I, I, I said to him, I, I may, I've said this to some friends as well. I said, you know, that notion of expanding freedom would have been great in 1990, but we don't have a coherent, we don't have a cohesive cultural expression of what freedom means anymore. So I don't know what he means by that. Now, granted, I do know what he means by that. He's talking about the, what we would understand is using freedom to make good choices. Um, uh, a traditional sphere of, of liberty um, where we're not, you know, taxed unfairly or um, excessively. Uh, we, the feds don't control our schools, things like that. But freedom for others in our culture means the right to uh, give your children um, sex change drugs or give them surgery. So, Pete, I think you're spot on. I mean, the, once it, it wasn't clear to me as a younger man in a world that made a little bit more sense. But now that I'm older and now that I've lived through 2020 and I've lived through this post-2016 decline and maybe this decline started in 2001, but be that as it may, now that I've seen what maybe some of the old, some of my old professors would just call moral relativism, what that leads to, it's like, oh, actually, I'm not sure what freedom even means anymore. I'm going to have to dig a little bit deeper than freedom. Freedom is not something that unifies us. Freedom is simply the ability to choose. And when you have a coherent community definition of the of the good of virtue you you can rally around the concept of freedom because we all understand what that means but when you don't have that cultural understanding as a, as a community as a people of if you have freedom the freedom to get married you have the freedom to choose your own career and your own occupation the freedom to own land the freedom to become an entrepreneur to become an inventor those are traditional freedoms we're 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 moving into a world where freedom means something totally different to some people than it does to others. And I don't know how you can maintain a political community that way. I think, um, and I'll, I want to put a pin in this, but um, there's that, uh, the, the pink haired lady from the Libertarian Party. Karen um, Ann. Karen Ann may, sent a tweet the other day that she, she said, liberty is wild. As it, she, she's not a conservative. Liberty is wild. And my first thought to, to that with no liberty is not wild at all Liber, liberty if you don't have people who know how to govern themselves 
you can't have liberty. You, you're going to, I mean, in the, in the county, um, our, our city right now, I own properties. We're investing in video surveillance. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not something I'm excited about with our city. I, I've objected to it. But these license plate cameras are coming in, into smaller communities now. Mm-hmm. And people feel compelled, law enforcement agencies, cities feel compelled. They don't want to spend the money on this, generally speaking. Right. At least in small towns, they don't. I mean, I'm not suggesting that there aren't police or totalitarian-minded people that just want to invade your privacy. I recognize that that does exist. But generally speaking, most communities don't want to spend resources on things that they wouldn't need if they lived in high-trust communities. Yes. Mm-hmm. But when you don't have a high-trust community, you, you, you do end up spending money on that. Well, liberty is wild. No, liberty is order. Well, what does high trust, for what, what does high trust mean? I mean, most a lot of libertarians, especially of the the lefter leaning free state project kind of people, think that liberty is just I'm going to do my thing, you know, having gay sex over here while your kids are playing over there, and as long as they don't see me doing it, everything's fine. I mean, it's literal. What the fuck does liberty mean? You have somebody. You go if somebody is in the comments saying, "If disagreement's fine, why did Pete Quinones block me on Twitter?" Your fucking name is Liberty. What does that mean? What the fuck does Liberty mean? I want the Liberty to not have to do be around any people like like half the fucking libertarians that I've ever met at a conference, and I've met tons of good libertarians, people that I would love to have as neighbors. But well, a lot of them, I don't, I, I don't want to be in the same state as them. I, it, it bothers me that they're we're in the same polity, political polity, nationally. I, I, you know, I, I understand this, and Pete, I think you and I talked about this the last time you were on, where um, I had somebody at, tell me, so if I'm blasting music from my yard and it's keeping you up at night. Am I technically violating anybody's rights? And I said, well, yes, I actually do think you are violating somebody's right because you're disturbing the peace of the neighborhood, which you could say that sounds arbitrary, but I would much rather live next to a socialist who just kind of minds his own business, cuts his grass, keeps his yard nice, waves hi to me in the morning, and then goes about his day and doesn't fucking bother me than this 100% perfect Hoppian libertarian whose yard is burning down or, you know, there's degeneracy going on in their yard or, you know, they're, they just ruin the whole aesthetic of the neighborhood. I'm basically, I'm basically surrounded by Zionist Christians Mm -hmm. and I would, I would much rather they be my neighbors, even though I disagree with them vehemently on on that Mm -hmm. subject. I'd much rather them be my, be my neighbors than like, 90% of the people who go to the Libertarian National Conference. Why? Because they they ask you how you're doing. They they want to know about your life. They don't bla- you know, they they don't go speeding past. Here's the thing. We don't have to write like a bunch of laws. It's unwritten. You don't have to like come up with a covenant <clears throat> community contract that everybody has to sign. Right. Everyone knows you don't speed past this person's house. You know, you don't one of the everyone, 
everyone knows you don't don't cut don't use this person's yard as a u-turn i mean mm-hmm. it's unwritten that's what this is all about it's not about oh you could do whatever you want you know and it's like you know it's like a bird and i were talking recently about like the loud music thing i've had neighbors that played loud music before you know what i did i went and knocked on their door and i said dude i gotta wake up in the morning to go to work can you turn it off do you know how many times they said no never not many yeah never well, I think Never. I typed, yeah, yeah, I typed into your chat a couple weeks ago saying uh, where my grandfather lives in, well, step-grandfather lives in Brookville. Um, <laughs> he told somebody speeding down his road, they kept doing it. He said, I will shoot your truck if you continue to do that. And his neighbors at one point had a dog that they couldn't keep on the leash and it kept going over and killing his chickens. He said, look, if you do not put that dog into your yard, I will shoot it. <laughs> you know unfortunately some stuff happens but like that's the kind of moral code that you have to have to live in more than likely a libertarian order i mean as much as people don't want to hear that <clears throat> that's a high trust society where people have expectations on one another that they're not going to do stupid shit in the neighborhood this I mean, this this idea that you know once you write it down so for example i mean if you have a neighbor and you have to put it in writing in your community if you have to pass a noise ordinance in your community, mm-hmm. that's a strong indication that your community is on the decline because where it was previously not necessary, the self-governance was in place to sustain right. that kind of order. And libertarians, Friedrich Hayek um, writes some great material about the rule of law. Um, I'm not an expert on Hayek, so anyone can feel free to correct me if they like, but um, he's very favorable towards this concept. And as I've been in office um, for a year, something I've, I've I've kind of realized that the rule of law is really the rule by bureaucrats. What you want is common sense. What you want is a man or a woman in a, in an executive position, in a governmental position, they have to enforce rules between neighbors you want that that arbiter of a dispute to be able to come in and rule with common sense to make a decision that is just and fair if they have to follow the letter of the law now we're we run the risk of imposing unfair constraints on people and when when we operate by this concept of rule of law You can have the words in front of you on the paper. You have the law there. And if you deviate from that, it becomes arbitrary government when you operate from a a framework of the rule of law. When you operate from a framework of common sense, it's not arbitrary government. All government is arbitrary to begin with, whether you write it on paper or not. But it, it becomes stringent, it becomes unfair, it becomes unjust, it becomes it becomes burdensome. So as a, as a local official, I would I would much prefer to see. And matter of fact, we we passed a policy in the spring of this year regarding the property tax appeals process in our county. Um, I had gone through what is called the the PETA BOA, the Property Tax Assessment Board of Appeals. I'd gone through that process, felt that it was very unfair, felt that it was really a kangaroo court. Meetings weren't recorded. There were screw-ups. 
motions were everything was inconsistent, right? So we we passed a policy to try to regulate this. Well, what you run into is the reality. The reality is putting something on paper doesn't make it real. You have to have the right personnel in place who believe in the values that, as an elected official, I'm trying to promote in my government. And so if I don't have the right people in position, doesn't matter what I write on paper. This, this comes back to Pete's point earlier about culture. Mm-hmm. And it comes back to this idea of, of just unspoken self-governance. So with, with that, I'll, I'll give the floor back to you, Kyle. Yeah. Um, one thing that kind of crossed my mind while you guys were talking was um, <laughs> I remember in 2020, my uh, bass player, my band, Steve, who's a phenomenal dude. He's a shop owner. I mean, him and his wife own multiple businesses. They breed dogs. Um, he owns an automotive repair facility and they own a bar. Uh, he... <laughs> He said, all right, well, I'm going to start training shooting again because I don't, I never know what the fuck's going to happen. So once again, this was probably, I want to say maybe May of 2020. And, um, you know, we were over beside his garage and he lives like next to a big hillside and there's a little crick um, as well. So, you know, where they were just kind of firing off rounds. And then one of his neighbors actually came over and said, hey, we appreciate you coming over to us and letting us know that you were going to be shooting here just so that way everyone's clear and it's just you know i think that kind of goes to you guys's point where yeah. like you didn't need a law you didn't need the cops you just go over to your neighbor and say hey just so you know you're gonna hear some noise but everything's okay we're firing this way and you know don't be concerned it's stuff like that and like i said um even earlier with my step-grandfather and even like with my dad where like when i would get pulled over as a kid i knew all the cops they knew my dad and they said hey I'm going to try to get you out of a ticket. You know better than this. Call your dad, call somebody, get a ride home, but you know, quit messing around because I'll tell your dad. Like that's the kind of that's how I grew up and that's, you know, for me when I look at these situations of people who live in cities or live in towns that aren't quite like that, I I guess I it never really connected with me, but now I kind of see it obviously as I've gotten older and kind of traveled around a little bit that like a lot of people don't have the sense of community. They may not have like the network around them to understand like that there is a certain expectation on you as an individual, especially with somebody that like has the reputation that comes with having my last name that like, you can't be an asshole. Like when I went out to a bar once with a girl and she tried to start up a fight or something like that, I'm like, you don't do that here. Like I I cannot look like an asshole because you want me to fight some dude that just said hi to you. Like, that's not how we do things around here. Right. Yeah. I, I, I'll, I'll, echo that sentiment about just just the value of a name um when i was uh it's been almost a year now but when these um progressive activists came after me and they defamed me on uh, on twitter social media um that was very painful because um i live in a small town and our names our last names matter yes our our, wor- our word still matters here mm-hmm. and i have a good i have a good reputation and so to to see those kinds of things happen, I mean, these just these cretins on Reddit, I mean, they, they don't understand the value of a last name. They don't understand the value of a handshake, of, of, of keeping your word, yes. of, of ethical business practices over the long term, over 10, 20, 30 years. And um, they'll just outright smear you, say whatever they want behind an anonymity. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and think nothing of it. They just, they just move on and you're left to deal with the consequences. 
So the, those kinds of that's that's community trust. And I'll I'll say that um, high trust societies are not consistent with inclusivity. You cannot have both. You have to have gatekeeping. Mm -hmm. yep. And uh, and I've I've wrote about this on on Facebook to my constituents that we're losing. We're losing the blessings that our ancestors gave us. They gave us a high trust community here in the here in Wells County and here in Bluffton. And we're losing that. And what, what are we, what are we going to do about it? Do you do you want to have to lock your car when you go into the store? Uh, you know, I think what really changed it for me was when I stopped dreaming about the perfect, you know, the yeah. form this perfect society. And, you know, everybody's going to believe everybody's read Rothbard, everybody's read Hoppe or, or whomever, Konkin, whoever the left libertarians want to throw in there. Um, and everyone's abiding by these principles. Well, that's not going to happen. It's just, it's not going to happen. So once you start like traveling around the country a little bit, yeah, you know, and some of the problems that I've had over the last couple of years, which were self-inflicted, caused me to do a lot of traveling and basically, um, you know, visit visit different places. And I found, you know, towns around the country. I mean, in the Midwest. I mean, not too far away from where you, where even you are, Kyle. Um, mm -hmm. And you know, places down here where I am that are, I mean. No one's read Rothbard here. No one's read Hoppe, but everyone basically operates with the kind of respect. Yeah, that it's, you have. it's that common sense I mentioned earlier. Uh, in Indiana, um, Hoosier common sense is a catchphrase in politics, but common sense is something that we inherit from our ancestors. It's something passed down. It's what has worked. Chesterton calls it the democracy of the dead. We have thousands of years of inherited experience of what works and what doesn't. And I would much rather have a, I would rather have a community of people with common sense than the burden of having to educate a community about Mises and Rothbard. Yeah. And that's assuming that they would even want that too. That's the other right. thing. Right. Um, you know, I, I'm not an evangelist for, for any ideology. Exactly. And you, you can't be an evangelist. Yeah, you you shouldn't right. be an evangelist. It's it's the way I look at it is like ten percent of the population is like super political ideological, and when I say ten percent, I'm like people who would be actually be willing to do something about it, right. and the the rest are just lemmings, just willing. And when I say willing to do something about it, people willing to use power, willing to use political power to impose you know, to, to make real change. And when I look at that other 90%, all I see is people who are just need to be led, need to be told what to do. Right. You know, I well, mean, I, I think it, I think it stratifies like nearly anything else. Um, something I've come to recognize is that even though politics affects all of us, it, it's really just a niche interest, the same as powerlifting or heavy metal. Um, I, I, I mean, there, there are going to be people that 
you know, I make, I make decisions that affect everybody's lives in my community, but significantly less than one, than, than 10%, significantly less than 10% would ever have an interest. If I came to them, would you like to serve on a board? I want to give you power. I want you to serve on this board, make decisions because I know you have common sense. I know your political values are in the right place. Your moral values are in the right place. Um, I, even the people I think would be interested, I, I get maybe two out of 10 that tell me, yeah, I'm ready to do it. It's, it's very rare. And I, I can't necessarily blame them because they see things like what happened to me. They see politicians just in the media being smeared every day, dragged through the press, and they don't want to, they don't want any part of that. Yeah. I mean, I just don't think that most people, I think that most people give up. I think most people are failures, uh, not failures, but I think they're willing to accept failure. I think they're waiting for other people to do stuff for them. That includes anarchists and libertarians. They're waiting for other people. Isn't that what it is? Oh, we need, we just need to wake up more people. That's saying that you need other people to do, to do something for you. You know, it's like two years ago, I was in a horrible relation. Two years ago, I was in a horrible relationship, public shit, fucked up, lost a job over it. And two years later, I'm married to a, a fantastic woman who would never do anything like that. Doesn't even want to be online. And we own this house in the country and we're surrounded by and we're surround own this house in the country and we're surrounded by beautiful people. While everybody, while people are still trying to be like, oh, read Rothbard, read Emma Goldman, read. Uh, no, just go save your fucking self. No one's coming to save you. Go save yeah. yourself. If that's by, if, if that means you have to go buy Bitcoin and that's because you, if, you know, then go save yourself. Yeah. I mean, look, I lost my job at the Libertarian Institute because I was a cunt and I couldn't, uh, I couldn't. Uh, I couldn't apologize calling other people's fail calling uh, uh, calling other people's failures. Yeah, I I fucked up. I actually owned it. I actually went and told everyone. I lost I lost a bunch of a bunch of followers on Twitter. I lost a bunch of listeners and everything. Guess what I did? Got rid of the problem. Fixed the problems within me. And now look at me. You wish you had the fucking life I have. Well, and you know, Pete, to that point, it's kind of why I respect you in a lot of ways. Like I said, we've always had fair and good interactions. Oh, and by the way, the Libertarian Institute, you realize Scott Horton and I are on the phone like two, three times a week. You realize we were hanging out. We were hanging out a couple weekends ago down in Florida. We don't hate each other. We just don't work together. And the best thing that could have happened was me getting out of the Libertarian Institute because I wouldn't have been able to concentrate on a lot of the stuff that I did that 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 has brought me back to having a podcast that people actually love to listen to and people support monetarily. Um, if I wasn't out from under the Libertarian Institute, you know, Scott can tell you, you can ask Scott if he didn't if we didn't have that blow up over Christmas in 2021, I would have left the Institute within a couple months. I mean, do you really think he was going to be he, he was going to allow me to do episodes on World War II from the Germans perspective? 23 episodes basically defending Germany in World War II. No, that wasn't going to happen. But look what I did. Landed back on my feet. And there's still people, there's still people online in the comments section complaining about, 
oh well you know if we just if you just read this one thing we can get this going no save yourself save yourself yeah, and this is kind of why I think I always resonated with you in the whole post-libertarian moment, if we could put that in kind of like a rough term, because um, I always found that shit to be self-evident. I mean, I've lived in the same house now for seven years, and I mean, I grew up moving consistently. I mean, I was just telling my wife the other day, I think I moved probably 15 or 16 times in my entire life, and now I've been in the same house for seven years, actually, yeah, seven years in April at 29 years old. I got married, you know, last year to the woman that I've been with for five years. Um, I got two raises at my new job within, you know, the last two and a half years, whereas at the last job I got one raise after four years. Um, <laughs> my wife and I go to Florida when we want to go. Um, we're going to have kids. So, like, my life was well built before I decided to start coming on here and, you know, giving my opinions on things. Sure. And, you know, Pete, you went through that, you know, through a pretty wicked sting there. But, like, you rebuilt yourself, you rebuilt your podcast, your brand and everything, and came back, you know, much better for it. So, you know, to anyone that can be out in the public, specifically in our square, we're like, we're a little bit, we're a little bit more you know confronted. What, you know, people you know what know. didn't, when all that was happening, do you know what, what? what didn't happen what there was only a few people that actually did people reached out to me there were only a few people that reached out to me and said what the fuck is wrong what's going on you're spiraling you're going down a hole what can i do to help you no people like people in the comment section here they celebrated that shit that's why i'm like fuck you motherfuckers how many of you reached out and said, dude, what's going on? What the fuck, man? What the, how can I, is there anything I can do to help? No, fuck you. People like you, people like Brandon, people like, I know who my fucking friends are because of that. Fuck all you libertarian motherfuckers who were like just celebrating, waiting for somebody who, you know, had some kind of popularity with a podcast and everything and wrote it in an institute. You were it, it was like you were waiting for me to fall. It was like you were waiting for me to spiral. And then you celebrated it. Go fuck yourselves. And you better hope I never get political power in this country. I mean, people I, um, like that shouldn't be trusted or held in any regard at all if they're celebrating. I, I, like I said, I you've always been good to me, and I would never, you know, even like people that I don't like, I don't want them to necessarily fail unless, you know, we're talking about people who actually go out of the way to, you know, affect my life negatively. But like to just wish suffering on people, mm -mm. Yeah. unless they legitimately deserve it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, 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 I a legitimately horrible pe a person. I mean, before all that happened with me. Was I a I mean, was I horrible to people? Sure, I argued with some people. We all argue. We're fu we're fucking libertarians. Is that what we do? Isn't that what we we did? But as soon as I started going outside of orthodoxy a little bit and started getting off, you know, and basically started you know, you know, speaking out against religion, well, then, then it was you know, fucking. I mean, it's, people are just you you. You know, and I and I see this now in like dissident right in the dissident right movement. I see this. It really is until you understand that like politics in general and power is all about an elite few. When you really get that, when you understand that it's only a, an elite few that can actually move things, then you you'll you'll stop with this. We need to wake the public up, bullshit. 
and you'll just start looking for your people. And if that has to start at home and then it branches out to your neighbors and then maybe your small town, maybe that's as far as it ever gets. But if you can insulate your small town from a lot of the shit that's coming for the transgender, the fag shit, all that stuff, if you can insulate your town from all that stuff, you've you're a hero. You're you you're doing what's right. Yeah. You know, and sure, yes, people are still having to pay taxes. Okay. I mean, if you don't want to pay taxes, stop paying taxes. See what happens. You, well, you die, die handcuffed to a gurney like Peter in a, in a prison hospital like Peter Schiff's dad. Right. And they gave absolutely zero fucks and zero treatment about him. Like, is that really the life you want to live? But I, I think this also kind of goes with the, um, something that Brandon did with the whole sign where um, I think I said he took a, a shovel to the roots of progressivism and you saw the reactions, how they came after him for something that was so benign so it, it's yeah it's I, 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 and it was funny too because you know I'll, what uh, i'm doing i'll, 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 I'll chime in here and say that I, the one of my my favorite parts about it was i didn't even make the decision to remove the sign mm -hmm. i just patted my board of works my city councilman on the back publicly because as a libertarian I, especially a year ago, I, I am further removed from my libertarianism, but back then I was still new to the Republican party. I am um, trying not to argue with Republicans. Instead, when they do something I like, I just try to compliment them publicly. So that was what that I was trying to do. And, um, <laughs> but I did not make the decision to remove the sign and I'll go on record. Um, that was the decision that was made. I don't care what anybody else wants to say. I was in the meeting that day. We were not removing any other signs. It was those <laughs> signs. And um, the city decided we aren't going to touch those signs. And um, those signs are now a testament to Republican weakness and cowardice. And I have said as much to my party. They are monuments to the ineptitude of our party to do anything against the left. Who governs this city? Is it us? Well, we hold every office in the county. We hold every office in the city, but we don't hold power because we're afraid. We're a bunch of cowards. We won't do what we won't do. What must be done? That's a scary thought. Well, you know, this also kind of pivots over to something that I want to talk to you guys about. I want to make sure I I steal man this argument. So, I, I know I threw a couple kind of shit posts out saying about how. Um, you guys want to consider yourselves right wing. I shouldn't say want to, but consider yourselves right wing. And I think there's a problem that libertarianism and right wing has where like, if you want to consider yourself right wing, you have to purge yourself of the stink of Ben Shapiro and the daily wire crew. Right. And whereas like libertarianism, you have to cleanse yourself of the progressive stink of Nicholas Sorwark and the, you know, former, and even some of the current, um holders of the name libertarianism now what i think makes you guys argument stronger is that when you claim to be explicitly right wing then that helps repel progressives as far away as possible so i think that's kind of the strength in that and when it comes to libertarianism i think the only upper hand there is that you probably have less stench to clean off um pete i'm curious your thoughts and brand i'm curious your thoughts as well well i mean if you're going to be 
if you're going to call yourself right wing, and that means that you're going to be associated with the Ben Shapiro's and the Dennis Prager's of the world, well, then you're probably the way you talk, the way you act, and the subjects that you talk about should probably separate you from them. I don't know that anyone on Twitter or anyone who listens to my podcast or listens to me talk or reads my Substack, I don't know how they would they they would frame that 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 they would frame me in the same in the same breath as a Prager or or a Shapiro or anyone in in what's you know conservative incorporated. Sure. Okay. Well. And I get that and I agree. Like, so I think we all agree on what right wing is, but like my only problem is when you start talking to normies and people that aren't necessarily as clued in as we are, they're not going to associate you and let's say like Lou Rockwell as, you know, more of your ideal right winger. They're going to once again, pin it back to Dennis Prager and Ben Shapiro. Um, and, and I, I agree that it's going to be a small percentage of people who do a lot of the working and getting stuff done politically. But um, I, I think as far as getting people on board, I, I think that's an obstacle to climb, no less. And, and I'm sure you would agree, but there's probably a little bit more nuance here that you could add that maybe I'm not getting. Well, yeah, I mean, I just I, I think it's become becoming more evident that the the right and the left in this country, when you look at them, especially the political right and the left, that they're working for the same people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they disagree on very little. Um, you know, when they do what they do agree on is usually egregious and disgusting. And yeah, I, I just don't. I don't worry about it. You know, it's like, it's like I said, it's, I'm not trying to, I'm not a Jehovah's witness. I'm not out here trying to um, force people to believe everything I believe. Um, I, I want them, I want them to know that they can trust me, that I'm not going to, I'm not going to damage them, you know, especially my neighbors. I'm Mm -hmm. a lot of the people that I've been able to speak to here. Um, there are, you know, there are certain things that you can save for certain um, subjects that you can bring up to see exactly where people are. You know, it's like you know when, you know when I was talking when I went to a um, went to a potluck with the one of the local Baptist churches, and you know the pastor, you know he knew that I had a Substack, he knew I had a podcast, and everything. We hadn't talked about it. it was the first time we had a chance to talk about it. And the first thing he says to me is, I don't even bring this up. He brings it up. He goes, so do you think that Epstein client list is going to come out? And I'm like, okay, I know that I can talk to this person. <laughs> you know, it's like, I mean, sure. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound. All with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. 
or Epstein is getting a little normie and everything like that. But you just don't bring that up into conversation. You know, most people just don't bring that up into conversation. And, um, you know, there are other people that I, other people that I've talked to that, that I've gotten close to around here. Um, I, I just basically let them know what my beliefs are very quickly, you know, and, um, throw out little, little phrases that hopefully they pick up on and you, know, you just throw it, you know, trying to, trying to see where they're at. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's everyone around, everyone around here just really is like, wants to be left alone and is really willing to do whatever it is to be left alone. And I think one of the reasons is if, if, if you really understood the area that I live in, you'd understand that it's like people live here People who choose to live here choose to live here because they know they're going to be left alone mm-hmm. because there's there's certain things about the county that don't exist in other counties. And it's a huge county um, like, you know, it takes like 50 minutes to drive north south through it. And there's only like 15000 people in the whole county. So yeah, it's yeah. it's a real it's one of those things that we just really lucked into. We lucked into a situation where it was like, Oh, okay. And, you know, it was a friend of mine, semi Agog Oliver, who has a really good stream out there in podcast. Um, he lives in the County. He told me about it. He's like, yeah, there's this, there's no, this here, there's no, this here, there's no, this here, there's no, this here. And I'm like, huh? Okay. And I realized that there was no, this, 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 this. And when, when I saw my property tax bill and it was like less than my like eating out bill for a month. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My, my, my property tax for the year is less than what, what I usually pay for like restaurant <laughs> going out to restaurants for a month. So, um, you know, I just, I got into a good situation and there are good situations like that all over the place. If you work from home, if you work remotely, you can find it. You just have to want it. The problem is, is that people want to stay close to cities and they want to stay close to quote unquote civilization. And um, because, you know, it's like, well, you know, my spouse doesn't want this and doesn't want that. Well, I found a spouse that doesn't want, you know, when I met, when I met my, my wife, I was living in a town of 75,000. She was living in a town of 400. So it was, so it's like, she, I'm like, I want to live in a town of 400 and we found something, we, we, we found something pretty close and everything. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think that, I think that ideological possession and, you know, it's like, um, the, that old phrase and it's tired and used up, but it really does make a lot of sense is don't let, uh, don't let perfect be the enemy of the, of good, of the good. And I think that there's a lot of that when if you're somebody who desires to, if you want a more libertarian kind of lifestyle that exists already, um, you know, and you have to be willing to accept the good because you're not going to get the perfect. It's just, it's just not going, it's not going to happen. Yeah. I I think that um, probably connects well for Brandon. So I wanted to give him the floor to kind of, see how that translates for him and also kind of touch on the whole right wing thing. And I just want to reiterate that I think the strongest thing that um, using the title right wing has is that you do repel progressives. And I think most people that you wouldn't want to be associated with are going to generally steer clear of you when you, you know, profess the title right wing. 
Yeah, I mean, in uh, in political office, um, I'm always trying to communicate who I am to voters, to constituents. Um, that really, for, for me, that's kind of the name of the game. It, it's constantly a, a matter of um, finding the right tools, whether it's mailers, letters, um, social media posts, conversations to communicate your set of values um, to the people that have trusted they 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 put you in a place of trust, and um, we have um, a very strong contingent of right, explicitly right wing, very sort of traditionally liberty minded people in the Republican Party in Indiana. Who um, it's 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 really not enough for those people to say you know I'm a conservative, right? They're told that by Republicans who um, who let them down regularly. And so trying to trying to really um, reach out to those people to let them to let because because those those people the the left can come after me all they want. That doesn't bother me. But if I disappoint my rank and file right wingers, my rural pro-life abolitionist types, if I disappoint them, that hurts. I don't want to disappoint them. Their trust is important to me. So being able to communicate who am I to those people in a language that is not going to, you know, again, you, you have to know how to speak the language, right? I mean, Kyle, it's like somebody goes into a mechanics shop and they, and they try to speak the language, but they, they just can't. Um, it, it, it doesn't. I'm all familiar. It's not going to work, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, you get it. Well, um, so one thing I try to do is invoke the Republican tradition that I'm a part of. Ron Paul, Thomas Massey, Pat Buchanan. You could go back to Barry Goldwater, I suppose. Um, but it is a it's a paleoconservative Republican tradition. Um, so referencing the tradition over and over. These thinkers that, you know, maybe they're not totally familiar with. Hopefully they are. If they, if they don't know them, maybe it creates curiosity. Um, you don't want to speak past people though, but sure. if you can brand yourself, Rand Paul would probably be a good one. Rand and Ron are, are the more contemporary people. Um, the Pat Buchanan does work with some Republicans, which I always appreciate uh, when <laughs> Republicans know who Pat Buchanan is and we can have that, that connection. Um, like, um, so the, the question of um, like, how far right are you or everybody's moving to the right. So um, we have a local newspaper um, newspaper editor. He wrote a, a letter to the editor or a, an editorial some time ago about regarding the signs. And he um, didn't mention me by name, but said that, you know, the party is drifting further to the right um, and put and put me referred to me as a local councilman in the same sentence as Jim Banks. Which, on the one hand, Jim Banks is a very popular Republican, so I was like, "Oh, all right, I'll, I'll take I'll take that. That's fine." But on the other hand, I am so much further to the right than Jim Banks; it it would probably make this newspaper man blush. But <laughs> but on the other hand, um, my Catholicism pulls me back from right wing or conservative political ideology. All of the good things about the right are present in the Catholic faith. And so 
um, that's, that's what I've tried to anchor myself to is my faith. Um, I think, I, I don't think you can escape the left, right divide. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that I know. Um, and I don't, I don't want to take us too far astray, um, on, on, on this subject. Um, but, but for me, as just a matter of personal, um, personal practice, my Catholicism does tend to help moderate some of the more ideological extremes people can go to. For example, um, I think, you know, finger pointing, finger pointing at, um, the redhead, li redheaded libertarian about what she's wearing, right? Mm -hmm. Like, no, actually I, I can just keep my mouth shut. I don't actually have to engage that in public. Um, what I, what I, what I do find interesting about the left right divide question or this, this label of right is how it seems like most of the infighting in the libertarian movement revolves around this question of whether or not we are left or right, at least as I, as I see it on Twitter or on X. And if, if the appeal of the libertarian party is that it is neither left nor right, that it is libertarian and, and nothing else, it's not conservative, it's not liberal, it is libertarian, then, then if that is the case, why the left, right, infighting it, it doesn't seem to solve the problem mm, i say okay i see what you're getting at and like if your whole mo as a party is to be neither left nor right then why does it matter which way that the party is drifting right like it should well, or, be or i suppose the idea would be to be inclusive actually if you really think about it, if you're neither left nor right am, am i wrong Right. I mean, I, and you, you do have some libertarians who try to walk this tightrope, mm -hmm. but my, so my, my wife and I had this conversation before we got married, right? Mm -hmm. This question of what is marriage? Well, right now at the time we were engaged or maybe, maybe we were planning on getting engaged, but either way we had this freedom. Mm -hmm. It was, it was there. It was this thing. And she and I both talked about how in using our freedom, we give it up. And so I'm going to make the decision to, to marry you. You're going to make the decision to marry me. We're going to use our freedom, but in so doing, we lose it mm -hmm. uh, because now we're committed in this covenant. And, um, but, but what good, what good is the freedom if you don't use it, right? I could stay single and I could talk about how, well, I'm never going to get married. I love being free. Okay. Yes, you're free, but you've been given the freedom to make a choice. If you don't use the freedom, you're simply lost. And that seems to be the problem with the libertarian party is, and I, and I understand the idea that we're going to sort of address these surface level political questions. We're going to simply say we don't use violence against other people. All right. Okay. All right. But that, that doesn't seem to work in practice. It seems to me that 
you're always going to have these more fundamental questions of what do we use our freedom for? And communities organize around these questions. These are political questions around which we build political communities. What do we use our freedom for? And th this, is, this is the question when we enter marriage, we have to answer that. What are we using our freedom for? Well, I'm using it to select you and I'm entering into a covenant with my wife, right? Yeah. When we enter political community, it is not enough, it seems to me, to say, well, you just have the freedom. Your community has no opinion whatsoever on what you use this freedom for. So, hey, if you want to have your, you know, your, your raves next door to Pete, who wants to wake up at 4 a.m. and go to work, and how, how are you going to resolve that? These just, this, this way of way of life of live these questions of living. So I, I'm, I'm getting um, long winded, but I'm going to circle okay. back and, and simply reiterate th this. It seems to me, I don't think libertarianism solves the left right question. And when I first read the ethics of liberty, this was the first time in my life I read Rothbard and I thought, I'm not sure this works. And after that, I, that now that's early Rothbard. I recognize that he, he did shift. Um, but anyway, I, I, when we talk about questions of left, questions of right, I always find that an, I always find the libertarian solution to this to be an interest. It's an interesting effort. Um, but I, again, I think as we've seen our culture disintegrate, we are realizing we are living through the disintegration and we're, oh, we're, we're, we're realizing maybe those fences were there for a reason. Maybe yeah. all of these things that we were given by our parents and our grandparents, we didn't know what the purpose of those things were. Now we do. We, we thought we were just remodeling the home. It turns out we, we took out a load bearing wall and we didn't realize yeah. it. And now we're homeless. That's a really good way to put it. Yeah. Well, here, you know, when I think of libertarianism, I think of just the same argument over and over again. It's the same the same subjects over and over again. And it doesn't really get anything. It, it doesn't accomplish anything other than solidifying your position that's not getting implemented in in reality. So I, I, I don't know if you saw Jeffrey, a Jeffrey Tucker tweet today. Um, yeah, my favorite work. I, I'm a I'm a, a fan of Jeffrey Tucker's early work. You know the Ron Paul newsletters. But um, this um, this tweet by him today, I mean, the reaction is just great. Uh, he says Murray Rothbard wrote about yeah. two years before he died that his excellent. views on you, you, you hear, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's an excellent tweet. I, yeah. I retweeted it. Yeah, yeah. Murray Rothbard wrote about two years before he died that his views on immigration had shifted. He explained that militia states can use mass immigration to change the demographic composition of a society in a way that shifts political allegiances towards a tyrannical regime. I had my doubts that, that he was correct about this and continued and even intensified my support for open borders. How can I put this? He was right and I was wrong. I see that now. And God bless him for being willing to change his mind based on evidence. 
We should all be like that. And then he goes on and he says, and by the way, it really pains me to say this because I also believe that nationalism is dangerous and the nation state itself has been responsible for terrible things, nor do I believe a nation needs homogeneity to operate with peace and prosperity. But we have a situation here where the regime is weaponizing the immigration system to destroy constitutional law and liberty and cynical and cynically and permanently so while meanwhile blocking legal and orderly immigration. It's highly dangerous for, for the liberty of Americans themselves. You know, and what I would say to him as well is it's not only states that can do this. Non-state actors do this. Mm-hmm. George Soros is not doesn't have a state. He does this. NGOs do this. I mean, you corporations do this, fund this. Individuals fund this absolutely the state making the state like the all-out boogeyman like oh if the state didn't exist so much so much of what's being done now wouldn't be happening well prove that prove that how on the on the on the immigration question it's um it is within certain circles of libertarians it would be acceptable for a state, for a nation state to have an open borders policy and to simply not repel military aged invaders. They could know the intentions of this caravan. Say, this caravan wants to come to your country to burn down your religious monuments and your religious cathedrals and your historic landmarks. They hate you, but they've not committed that crime yet. Right? So that would merely be a thought crime within the libertarian. Again, I don't, I don't want to speak too broadly, but within some of the Lulbert classical liberal rhetoric, you, 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 this would be justifiable policy. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a positive right. It's com- they're, they're compelling people who live along this stretch of land that you cannot refuse entry. Or, or they, another way to put it, they've been entrusted to protect this strip of land and they won't. The, the government owns that land, but they can't. They they just they neglect their duty to protect that land that's a i i'm tucker tucker's tweet is excellent i didn't read the second portion of it i I just read the first but i suppose the the, maybe the the libertarian the classical liberal argument would be some appeal to um you know the 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 plight of the refugee refugee which i'm not and this country, this country government may even be responsible for the plight of that refugee, but right. I didn't. I didn't have any. I didn't have anything to do with that. I didn't even vote. I didn't vote for the president. I didn't vote for any of these people. Right. And and I, I mean, mean, what, what, so what this, do I? Why do I? Yeah, this is a part of my frustration with some of the um, some of the more leftist or liberal Catholics or Christians on X that I come across. Or I, I read it system systems when they when they function protect the vulnerable mm-hmm. yes. all right but they 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 zero in on the faults of these systems 
or the fault of Western civilization, the flaws in Western civilization, and they want to overthrow Western civilization because of its mistakes, its errors, its, its acts of injustice. Without, but I, I look at, I look around, what about children, right? We, we want to overthrow the, the institution of the family out of, out of a sense of inclusivity. We, we want to promote surrogate motherhood for, oh, for, oh I'm glad you're going gay men, right? <laughs> but what, what about the rights of the child? Right. Well, you know, okay. So this is perhaps one area where I've pissed off libertarians and I've come out as anti-surrogacy because I do not believe that you should take a, a child unnecessarily away from its mother. And I think the argument that like, oh, well, then all straight couples, I've had people tell me this, all straight couples should just adopt because there's children in foster care. Like this is a ridiculous argument. The children that are up for adoption are not there by their own choice. So to make a child specifically to take it away from the mother is a net negative. I believe children, specifically babies, have positive rights because that child did not consent to being born. So therefore, it is an obligation, a moral obligation on the parents to give that child the best life that it can possibly have because you consented to have that child. It is your moral obligation as a parent, especially if you want to produce any kind of society that's going to flourish, you should want to take care of that child as best as possible. So I'm completely against surrogacy because once again, I don't believe it's right to take a child away from its mother necessarily because uh, i mean there's even plenty of science on this where you know the child from birth knows its mother and that it needs that connection of eye to eye contact skin contact and if you neglect a child then that child will die so i mean it's, it's not like this is some kind of joke where oh you know look at the gays with their fuck trophies like no that's a fucking child and it shouldn't be away from its mother and shame on the women who are commoditizing their wombs so that way they can get a fucking paycheck and give a child off to a gay family like no that's i'm sorry i think that's wrong well i i think you i think you said it unnecessarily um i know um i i i i think the catholic church is is correct on on surrogacy i i think it's a it's a it's a well-reasoned well-argued position from natural law i think um you could I'm I'm not sure where the where the church stands on using in vitro, um, in in the case when when two people cannot procreate. That's um, different. That's a little bit sterility. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know what the church's position is on that particular question. I could I could see them still, um, shaking their head no, uh, but I I just don't know. But at least at least there you have a case of, um, you, you're not creating a human. To remove it from its mother, right. uh, in, in in what in my in my view, just religiously, it seems to me to be a just a demonic inversion of the sacrament of marriage. Marriage is a union between a man and a woman that is naturally open to procreation. What is the inverse of that? We're go we're going to use two. We're going to put two gay men. I I don't even know what you what you call it because they're not a couple and they're not partners because the parts don't work. So partner is a word that doesn't work. Couple, there's no coupling involved. They're they're basically friends with benefits. Okay, and you're gonna we're gonna th these two friends with benefits are going to hire a surrogate mother. Almost I, there's there's almost something sacrilege against the virgin birth in this case, and 
through through a monetary transaction, not through an act of love or an act Although of I'm sure I'm sure they could probably rationalize it into something similar to the virgin birth because they're filthy degenerates whose minds are completely corrupted. Yeah, you can that's that's that there are, there are no boundaries to what you can rationalize. But so instead of a covenant, it's an economic transaction. And out of this, you create a life and you, you rip it away from its mother right. to, be, to be raised by two men. And I, I, have, I have gay friends that I, I have a lot of respect for. I love them. Um, but on, on, this, on this matter and on this, on this question and on, on not on my gay friends as individuals, but on the question of, of the coupling, for lack of a better word, doesn't doesn't fly with me ethically and religiously theologically yeah. i and, and to sum it up the way i put this it, it's just every child has the right to a mother and a father mm -hmm. i once again it's not a libertarian position but i i agree with that i don't believe that and i'm not typically the naturalist fallacy guy but i do believe that a, a child should be with its birth with the mother that birthed it and, and i don't know I, I'm, look i'm i'm not a philosopher i don't know if that's the naturalist fallacy or not but it seems to me that this is just reasoning from natural law in in yeah. the same way that you know a, you don't put diesel in a gasoline engine right. a gasoline engine is made to run on gasoline mm -hmm. you, human beings aren't made to run on gasoline you don't put gasoline in, in a person right i mean yeah. Babies are created by a mother and a father, mm -hmm. and and for for optimal, I, I think for optimal care, a mother and a father in that home should raise that child. Mm -hmm. Um, and I th that's my that's my understanding of natural law philosophy. I don't think it's a naturalist fallacy. Yeah, Pete. Oh, I have nothing on that. I mean, it's, uh, I, I'm just, I, I would just go off and I've already, I've done enough, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I, I've done enough of that. So, um, yeah, no, no. Yeah, yeah, it's, it, okay. yeah, no, yeah, it's, it, it's a very, very interesting thing to kind of been to, to see that on the right. So, um, I, I guess maybe we could wrap up in the last 15 minutes or so about uh, kind of localism going forward. So once again, Brandon has kind of been the boots on the ground kind of guy. And, you know, I think you said you've been a city councilman for about a year. And, county. Um, yeah. County. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Paul. Right. Um, and uh, Pete, I know you've been doing a lot of digging on history. Um, in, in particular, that podcast I mentioned towards the beginning, I, I remember you saying that, like, if we would have just listened to Hans Hermann Hoppe back in the 90s, then, you know, where would we be now? So uh, I'm, I'm just kind of curious if you guys had any kind of thoughts going forward. I mean, I think that it is all going to be local. Um, yeah, A lot of people make arguments that, you know, you don't leave the city the city or the power centers, that's where that's where most of the power. Well, I mean, look who if you have the majority of cities who runs them. It's it's not people who are on our side. Yeah. So um, I don't know that I don't think the suburbs are even safe anymore. 
I think you need to get, you know, you need to get further away from it. Um, if you are, if you can't get, get away from the cities, if you can't get away from the suburbs, do everything you can to insulate yourself. I mean, acquire as much wealth as possible. Um, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm at the point where I think the best investment going forward is land is find some land and um, start buying it up. And if there's a chance that you can buy some land and then maybe buy some more and add on to it in the future, that's even a better, uh, that's even a better system to go by a better way to go. But, you know, I, I really think that Washington DC has, and, and most state houses have proven to us that, the politics is just, politics only works truly works in small small polities in small groups mm-hmm. and it only works in groups that have that share values and i just don't see anyone at this point who is putting their hope in like getting somebody elected in Washington, D.C. I mean, you can get someone elected in Washington, D.C. who can, you know, really mess stuff up, can really like, you know, get people thinking and you know, re- really start. You know, somebody who throws a wrench in the works. I mean, Trump did that, but he only did it mentally. Um, you know, he wasn't able to do anything because you know, I hope that what people understand from the Trump presidency is the fact that the president, the president has no power. It's these unelected bureaucrats that um, if a president wants to have any real power, they're going to have to go in and fire on day one and basically have the attitude of you're going to have to kill me. I mean, that's the only way any kind of president, you know, and you may want to have like a, he may want to have a hundred guys around him who are loyal to him, who are going to protect him no matter what. It's been done in the past. Um, and, but outside of that, you're, you're only going to save yourself. You're going to save your neighbors and maybe your, maybe your town, maybe your county. Um, I think the future of politics is just decent is decentralizing more and more, but you know, I'm not one of these people who's like, well, we decentralize it and we turn it into a libertarian paradise. No, people get to, if people step out of line, you, I think you sort of need a system like of like Singapore where people know that if they step out of line, they can be caned publicly. And I, I just think we're at that point. Um, you know, obviously I started out talking about how you want to not have to put laws down on on paper and you basically have a set of idea, a set of values that shared um, that are unspoken, unwritten. Sure. But you're still going to have to, you know, you're, unless you're willing to not let anybody back, let anybody in, you know, if, unless you're going, if you're not willing to vet people who are going to come in then and join your polity possibly, then you're also taking it into your own hands that you're allowing someone to come in who's going to gum up the works. And 
you know, I mean, I don't know that you can have that perfect polity of everybody who agrees on everything. So, you know, maybe you pe- people need to know that if you step out of line, there will be there will be hell to pay. And um, I mean, that's the only way I can see things going forward, because most people most people cannot m- most people cannot self-govern. I think most of the people who think that they can self-govern can't self-govern. Um, I think they'd be, they'd actually be the worst at self-governing because their idea of self-governing uh, governance is I want to be able to do whatever the hell I want as long as I don't hurt anybody else. And that can destroy a polity and that can destroy a culture really quick too. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think going forward, what we're looking at is we're looking at localism. We're looking at... Um, at people who people who share unspoken values and i mean i really am just convinced that a lot of that is going to center around people who share the same faith as well i talked about with bird on one one of his shows for um his patreon only bird miss episodes I said, Spain, there's no reason Spain from 700 to 1492 should have existed. They shouldn't have existed at, from 700 to 800. They're taken over by a foreign, by two foreign, by, by a foreign power and two foreign um, um, ideologies that were dialectically opposed to their Catholicism. And I'm convinced that the only thing that kept Spain going all the way to 1492, that when they could take their power back and they could have their golden age was their Catholicism was the only thing that held them together. I think faith holds people together. So that's uh, it's been something that I've had to tangle with quite a bit. And Brandon, I'll give it over to you in a second. Um, Mm -hmm. As a agnostic person, um, specifically over the last year and a half i want to say i've been a lot more open um i I did a show recently with a gentleman uh, by the name of glenn lawrence who's a pastor and he went to college to um for religion and all this stuff um very very interesting conversation and uh you know our mutual friend buck johnson and tommy sammons have um had a lot to do with my interest in religion as well um but there's definitely something to that and I've said before that like I'm an agnostic who kind of subscribes to Christian values because I really don't see any other way that civilization thrives in absence of some kind of moral code that would be, you know, something very, very similar or just Christian values in general. Um, And and kind of to the point of like federal politics, if you want to know, and I I know Brandon's going to like this. Um, if you want to know how bad it is, just remember that Thomas Massey was the only guy that voted no on condemning anti-Semitism in all our elected officials. So <laughs> if, if you want to know how screwed we are, that's how screwed we are. And don't forget that, you know, Donald J. Trump, who is supposed to be the anti-establishment candidate, still thinks that he did everything right in 2020, is still celebrating lockdowns and still celebrating a certain treatment from 2020 and 2021. Yeah. And he does not feel sorry about anybody that got locked in their home, anybody that lost their business, anybody that, um, you know, had an adverse reaction. He does not feel sorry for you. So if you're ever waiting for the guy to, you know, take the presidential office and bring us home, it's not going to happen. And if you still think that Trump's that guy, 
<laughs> I have oceanfront property in Arizona to sell you. So um, sorry to monologue there, Brandon, but I just wanted to get that in there. Uh, go ahead, take it away. No, I, um, I'm trying to think about where you, where you, um, where you started here. So um, on the, on the matter of, uh, so you mentioned that um, yeah, you spoke, you spoke about some, re some religious matters with a friend um, on your show. And um, I have, I have moved um, personally over the last 12 months. Um, I, I felt deeply drawn towards the Catholic church. Um, I have, I have sort of sojourned in that direction. I've wandered in that direction for about 13 years. Um, sometimes coming close, sometimes um, moving further away. Um, but this, this past year has, um, been like anything, un unlike anything I've experienced just in, in the draw towards the church. And one of the, one of the, um, maybe one of the matters that became clear to me in a new way is this idea of, of Christianity as the one true myth. Um, we, as, as human beings, we love to tell each other stories and, um, J.R.R. Tolkien has a book on fairy stories, the value of stories. And, I, and I've, I've understood the value of, of um, children's literature um, for young children all my life. Um, it, it prepares them, um, in, a, in a sense, to, to develop a Christian imagination. And somewhere along the way this year, I, I just came to understand this in, a, in an adult way where I've, I, I look at the the story of the gospel, the story of um, Jesus's birth, uh, life, death, and resurrection as the one true myth. Um, we have a lot of stories, uh, fictional stories in our culture that we love. We know them by heart. Um, people have been telling stories for, uh, for as long as human beings have been around. Um, but there's one story, there's one myth it is actually true. And, and that's, that's the story of God coming to the planet. And so that perspective, I've never tried to articulate it, but that perspective for me, um, it's really, it's really connected with me this year. Um, real quick, I, I would like to leave on something of a high note. Um, and so one thing that I, I would like to take a little bit of, um, satisfaction and sharing is that my local library left the American library association this year. Um, um, the Republican party, um, I, I really stuck my neck out there, um, delivered a public talk to the library board. Um, but the Republican party was united in wanting our local library to leave the ALA. And this was back, um, um, a few months ago when the American Library Association's president um, uh, just be, was a, she was a, an avowed Marxist um, and was very public about that and how she was going to use libraries to push this Marxist agenda, lesbian agenda, L LGBTQ agenda, political agenda. And um, our, we had a strong library board, strong library uh, director, who um, was deeply troubled by some of the um, just some, th these people don't exactly try to hide who they are. Um, and they were explicit on 
how they, they, the ALA was actually educating libraries, librarians and staffers, how to circumvent the first amendment and prevent conservative groups from using their facilities. And for our, um, for our library director, that was, that was just absolutely unacceptable. And the principle, um, of value neutrality was actually very effective in, um, removing our library from the ALA and promoting, um, using value neutrality as a principle to say, look, we're not going to promote controversial, um, celebratory months. We're not going to promote, um, culture war. We're not going to step in the culture war as a library. We're just going to pretend that it's 1989 and we're, we're just going to be a normal library. And that, that was the message I tried to send. And at least in the interim, it was, uh, it was a very successful, successful message. I couldn't have done it without, you know, reasonable people around me. Mm -hmm. I, I did not come in there with a perfect argument and, and win everybody over. These were people who are already receptive, but it w it was a tremendous win, um, to sort of protect our library as a county institution from the tide of progressive infiltration. Um, so we were very happy about that. Um, let me take a look at maybe a, maybe one or two other minor stories here. So this, uh, Pete, you, I think you mentioned a little earlier about unelected bureaucrats. And this is something I would encourage all of your listeners um, to try, Kyle, is if you want to get involved in local politics, um, you don't have to run for office. You can go to your Republican breakfasts or go to your party breakfasts or whatever it is, whichever party in your community has power. And you can express a desire to be on appointed boards, especially in Indiana, um, in most of the 92 counties. Um, there's not a lot of um, activity, political activity. You're going to have um, one party. Um, I mean, in, in one third of the counties, the Democrat party is the minority party, is the third party. So you're really going to have one party in Indiana, but this is probably true across the Midwest. Most counties are just going to have a Republican party and they're going to need people to appoint to boards and they want to appoint people with conservative values. And, um, there's just not a lot of people right now. There's a, a real lack of volunteerism in our country. And so if we can, um, libertarians, paleo libertarians, conservatives, your listeners, um, consider that filling out an application, going to the breakfasts, meeting people, going to party events, um, whatever, whatever works for you, whatever is kind of protocol in your area, but find a way to get on those boards because it really is the, the unelected bureaucrats or the board appointees in some cases, sometimes full-time full employees for sure. But um, getting on those boards is critical. And then if you're interested in running for political office, I can recommend um, that county council or city council are good stepping stones. Um, but I do recommend that if you're from the same, um, the same political persuasion as Pete and myself, you're probably going to, if you, if you run for council, you're going to want to become council president. And if you run for any other, preferably you wouldn't run for council. You would run for an executive position because executive authority is where the power lies, especially in a mayor. 
because the mayor in Indiana, different different states are going to be different, but a mayor has complete hiring and firing authority over his government. With one exception, the clerk treasurer. What about the sheriff? In the city. Okay. I'm speaking specifically to the city. So yes, if, if you're looking at county positions, the sheriff would really be the equivalent of a mayor. The sheriff um, has complete executive authority. Matter of fact, uh, we found out as county council um, that the, the sheriff in our community um, could install license plate cameras without the consent of the commissioners and without funding from council because sheriffs have their own commissary fund where they can, uh, they, they net profit from sales in their commissary and they can use that money to spend uh, for a variety of different um, items. You, they could use that money to spend, um, they could buy license plate cameras and then they could put those license plate cameras on state property and circumvent the separation of powers that ought to exist in on a controversial matter like that. But be that as it may, Pete, um, yeah, the sheriff is going to have really unilateral executive authority, can't spend money, um, generally speaking, with the exception of the commissary fund that I just mentioned. But the uh, but the mayor is the other one. Mayor, generally speaking, can't really spend money, um, but he does hire and fire. The drawback of a commissioner, um, and in in uh, Indiana, a commissioner is a is a county executive. Um, there are typically there are three. Um, the commissioners don't hire and fire the administrative staff of the county because you have an elected treasurer, an elected assessor, an elected recorder, an elected auditor, and um, an elected surveyor and an elected clerk, if I didn't mention that. So all of these administrative staff in a courthouse, traditionally, they're going to be in a courthouse, maybe a government building, they're they're elected. And what I have learned is that elections, when they're dispersed in this way, it actually it generally means less accountability. Because instead of going to one man where the buck stops, and you can say, hey, I've got a problem with somebody under your authority, I mean, if you have a problem with a local recorder, who cares? Nobody cares. But if you go to your mayor because you have a problem with your police chief, well, the mayor, people care about the mayor. There could be electoral accountability. Matter of fact, in this in uh, in Kansas, I believe it was Kansas, um, a police chief raided a, um, a newspaper, a police um, yeah, a police chief raided a newspaper and there was widespread electoral repercussions because um, accountability was really, it was, it was pinpointed into one man in the mayor. So when the mayor falls, everyone else falls and accountability was swift. So that is the benefit of a, of really a more unitary executive or I wouldn't really say authoritarian but a strong man, if you will. Yes. That is the benefit is that there is, there's one man. And if there are problems, it's, it's the same as a CEO of a corporation. Um, what you have in a County is, is something far more chaotic, but I've gone long and, uh, no, but I did okay. want to just 
throw a little bit of local government information out there very quickly to people. Thanks for that, Kyle. No, dude, of course. Um, I would, like I said, I was looking forward to making this happen for quite a while. Um, <laughs> I know both Ian's are a, a fan of the Spanish Inquisition, and that's something that I definitely want to learn a little bit more about sometime. So uh, maybe we'll have to do it again. Um, I hope that a lot of people, well, clearly a lot of people were a little bit upset about this, but um, I, I hope that they had a lot to think about. I know every single time I talk to both of you guys, um, I leave the conversation with questions and um, a little bit more informed and definitely from a little bit of a different perspective than I was before. So um, yeah, and, and scroll to people that uh, you know want to give a throw rocks to people or any of that bullshit. It's, we're here for a conversation and um, if you don't like you know, either one of you guys perspective, then, you know, once again, consider why that is and consider if maybe you're the one that's wrong, because, um, you know, if anything that I've learned in 29 years is that um, I could be very, very foolhardy and I could be very, very arrogant and I could be very, very wrong. And sometimes all three at once. And it's a very, very bad combination. I've been I, I've been wrong. I, I've told people over and over again publicly that I, I, I was wrong. You know, I, I, I was thinking something wrong. I did something wrong. I did. You know, I used to believe this. I don't believe this anymore. I believe it's wrong. Here's why I believe it's wrong. That's, I mean, if if you're not, I don't know why anybody wouldn't be willing to do that other than they think they're going to get kicked out of their little internet club. Yeah, and, and, and I'm not here to be part of an internet club. Yeah, <laughs> I, I got plenty of friends. I got plenty of other circles I could run in. I do this because I enjoy talking to people like yourselves. Um, I enjoy promoting my music. I enjoy having these conversations. Hopefully other people enjoy listening to them. And I'm, I'm sure that, you know, once it's all said and done, I think a lot of people are going to get a lot out of this. So, um, yeah, I guess let's go ahead, do plugs, whatever you guys got going on. Uh, Pete, you good, go first, and then Brandon, I'll let you wrap it up. All right, Pete Quignano Show. Um, three episodes a week, uh, PeteSubstack.com and, um, the old glory club, check out the old glory club on Substack and on YouTube. Nice. Brandon. Yeah. You can follow me at, uh, paleo GOP. I don't produce content. I don't have a podcast, so I do recommend you listen to in Liberty and health and the Pete Canones show. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate the uh, shining endorsement. <laughs> and uh, like I said, maybe we'll have to do another one specific on the Spanish Inquisition. It'd be a little bit more up uh, Pete's alley of doing history stuff. Because, I'd do more uh, listening than I would talking. I'd love to do that. <laughs> nice. Well, maybe we'll have one to of my favorite subjects. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks so much, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, take care. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.